Welcome to the Real Estate Rundown with Shannon Robnett. My guest today is Kevin Bupp. Kevin, say hello. Hello. Thanks for having me, Shannon. I'm very much looking forward to this. Hey, so Kevin, you're out of the Clearwater, Florida area. And while that's a beautiful place, uh, how has the real estate market been there lately? Yeah, I mean, lately, I guess, uh, are you asking due to the pandemic or lately, just uh, generally speaking? I guess I should have been more particular. Yeah, I should have been more particular. How is how is the Clearwater area recently with the pandemic? With the pandemic, you know, the Florida, I, I think that we've been um, just speaking to the last couple of months, uh, I think that we've been fairly lucky in, in, a, in a sense of, um, you know, different states that are in full lockdown versus states that have had a little bit more flexibility. You know, some would say that that's potentially a bad thing because Florida's got some cases that are rising, what have you. But thankfully, we've got some really, really nice weather uh, over that, that time of the year, you know, March, April, May. And, um, and we happen to live, uh, me personally, I happen to live in an area that's, you know, spaced out enough. We're near the water. We, go, we do a lot of boating. And so Florida's been really good during the pandemic. As far as housing, I've got a lot of friends that are, you know, um, uh, investors locally that, that both own investment property and also are realtors that, you know, do the buy and sell side. And uh, business didn't slow down at all. I mean, maybe for the first two weeks of April, just to, you know, until people could get a sense of what the heck was happening. But in all honesty, a lot, there was actually an increased sales cycle down here because I think what happened is people in some colder States, you know, the colder climates, you know, up in the Northeast were like, I'm getting the hell out of here before all hell breaks loose and I'm going somewhere warm and, and I'm going yeah. down. So let, let's move to Florida. In fact, the, the East coast, uh, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, where a lot of folks migrate from New York, um, and, and that side of the Eastern seaboard, they actually had to like literally shut down flights coming in from uh, New York and New Jersey for a period of time because it was uh, such a major influx. And that was back in like April and uh, beginning parts of May. So um, things are going well here, you know, you know, even during this crazy time that we find ourselves in. However, I don't think the last couple months are really the barometer of what's going to play out over the long term. I think it's going to take some time for the pain no. to really show itself. I just, I, I got a little off track. I just wanted to see how your section of the world did. But, you know, Kevin, you've got, you've got a resume here that says that you've been involved in just about everything. I mean, it, it sounds like you've, you've got a pretty, pretty well-rounded repertoire. I mean, you've been in, in development, you've been in raw land, you've done offices, you've done, you know, industrial. But what is it that attracts you to the, to the space you're in now? And what space is it as you define it yourself? Yeah, so we are in the uh, mobile home park space. Uh, some also will call it manufactured housing. I mean, it's basically one in the same. Um, and then in addition to mobile home parks, a new space that we've recently not transitioned over to, it's just we've added it to our, our repertoires, uh, uh, parking, parking lots and parking garages and you know, uh, very targeted areas. But the core of our business is, is mobile home parks. And what attracted us to this space, uh, you know, I was introduced to this niche um, uh, about eight years ago. And, uh, you know, I've always been in affordable housing in one capacity or another, although I've done other things outside of uh, residential real estate and in residential, I define as it could be a single family home, could be a duplex, could be a, an apartment complex, what have you. But, you know, residential housing has always been the core of my business and everything else has been always ancillary, uh, you know, all the other types of projects I've done. Um, and, and the demographic that I've always seemed to fall into 
is in the, you know, the B minus uh, C plus class uh, area, which is, you know, what, what we all define as affordable housing, workforce housing. And so, um, you know, I've owned hundreds of single family properties earlier on in my career, realized that that was a very inefficient model, um, owned uh, about, about 500 apartment doors uh, prior to the 2008 recession, and ultimately had a reset moment in 2008, lost a lot of property that I owned here in Florida uh, due to the crash. And took about three years hiatus, started a few other businesses, got back into real estate with the intent of building a multifamily portfolio, knowing that that was a much more efficient way to rebuild things. Didn't want to have anything to do with single family properties. That just, again, didn't like that model. Should have gotten away from it much sooner than I did. Um, and during that, 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 you know, kind of journey of, uh, you know, rebuilding myself, I was introduced to a local guy by the name of Randy, just by a mutual friend. Randy happened to own some mobile home parks. I never considered the niche. Uh, you know, most people don't, right? It's, it's, it's a, it's a, uh, still a weird topic of conversation. People are like, you, you do what, you know, you mobile home parks. What's, what's that all about? And I felt the same way. I had lunch with Randy and Randy piqued my interest uh, enough to where, um, after a two hour lunch with him that I, that I ultimately vowed to go buy a mobile home park. I'm going to go buy a mobile home park and either prove or disprove all these great things that Randy had to say about it. And, you know, some of those big things that really piqued my interest eight years ago were, you know, the, the one big one was, uh, well, there's a few big ones, but, you know, it's the only asset class that has the diminishing supply. And so there's, you know, more mobile home parks that get redeveloped um, into a higher and better use or just shut down, right? Operationally shut down, then that get new brought online each and every year. A couple reasons for that, um, you know, two, two real reasons for that. Number one, they've got a negative stigma attached to them. You know, anyone that thinks of a mobile home park, they think of just, you know, a very, very low grade tenant base. And that's just not the case. It, you know, there's low grade mobile home parks, there's mid grade, and then there's very high end, you know, lifestyle type communities, just like an apartment complex is just like residential subdivisions. You've got low, medium and high, right? It, all different classes that, that our niche serves. However, we get kind of lumped into the, the bucket of uh, low end. And so municipalities, it, it's kind of the not my backyard thing. You know, they, they don't really want us. Neighbors don't want us. And so new developments just don't happen. And that's, that's one of the reasons. The other one is from a tax revenue standpoint, it's not really in a municipality's best interest to let someone build a horizontal mobile home park that takes up a fairly substantial amount of land area um, where the after, you know, uh, where the overall improved value is not going to be anywhere near what it would be if it was a mixed use commercial development or apartment complex and, you know, or any other type of commercial development. In addition to that, the, the folks that, you're, that are going to be living and staying in that, you know, mobile home park probably won't spend as much money as someone that's going to be living in a A-class, you know, multifamily apartment unit on that same piece of land. So anyway, you know, there's, uh, uh, you know, some, some, some reasons behind why municipalities really don't want us. And so that, that was one thing that piqued my interest. I like the barrier to entry aspect. Um, and then uh, uh, another big one was there's a, uh, there's a very fragmented um, uh, ownership structure of mobile home parks. And it's, it's, it's very quickly getting consolidated with a lot of larger private equity firms and bigger players getting to our space. But um, up until about, you know, a decade ago, it was predominantly a mom and pop owned industry, meaning that, you know, maybe first generation still owned it, or maybe they've passed it to their, you know, their kids. Uh, their kids are now 70 or 80 years old, right? And like, they've literally worked in the business. They, they've, it's been their family's income for, you know, for, for potentially generations. And uh, a lot of these owners were aging out of these things. Uh, they're, you know, in their seventies and eighties and just either getting tired, getting sick, what have you, maybe their kids don't want it now. And so there was a good opportunity there as well to 
um, kind of tap into, you know, a, a, a class of owners and sellers that, um, that, that, you know, that weren't, you know, institutional type sellers, you know, uh, had some flexibility owned these things outright free and clear. We had, we've had a lot of purchases where we've been able to buy them on seller held notes, what have you. Um, lots of positive aspects there. And then one of the other big reasons, this is like the third big reason that really sold me. And there's a bunch of others, but this is the other big one is, um, you know, majority of the homes in these parks are owned by the residents. And so all we maintain as the mobile home park owner is the infrastructure, right? In the common areas, plumbing breaks in our unit, AC breaks, they call the plumber, they call the, you know, the HV guy, uh, HVAC guy, not us. Um, and so that's a, that's a big one, the maintenance aspect. But uh, another thing that goes along with that is um, these homes are very expensive to move, you know, generally speaking, uh, you know, it's all relative based on the demographic you're serving, but we're, we're, we're serving workforce housing to a, an affordable um, type of class of individual, you know, a single wide on average, if they wanted to move it to, from our park to another park would be about five grand to move it and get it set back up again, double wide, typically about double that amount. And um, so very rarely once a mobile home gets moved into a park, does it ever leave? And so uh, that's a very compelling reason uh, as far as the tenant, uh, uh, the stickiness of the tenant base, right? They either stay a very long time or if they leave, they put it up for sale like they would a regular home. Someone else moves in, takes over the lot rent responsibility and you don't have that downtime like you might have in a rental unit, right? You don't have like a month or two empty, make ready cost, you know, and then lease up time again. So anyway, those are some of the big reasons that really piqued my interest. Um, Ultimately, it took me about 12, a little bit more than 12 months to go buy the first park after I met Randy, bought one, very distressed park up in Atlanta. We still own it today and, um, and started buying more and more there after that first one. And now we're in 13 states and uh, um, are just uh, have been on a buying spree for a number of years. <laughs> so you brought up a couple of really good points there, Kevin. And, and, you know, a lot of people get involved in real estate for the depreciation. But if you don't own the lot, or if, if you just own the land and the infrastructure, yeah. you don't own the home itself. Do you get, do, is there depreciation you guys get through tax yeah. savings or what? Surprisingly pretty substantial. So we, we, we get cost seg studies done on every, every property we buy. And um, on average, anywhere between like uh, 60 to, you know, we've had as high as like 70, I think like 70, 71% of the actual purchase price um, uh, you get, get, you know, apply for bonus depreciation because of the infrastructure. So you've got the, you got the, uh, the roads, you've got the sewer lines, you've got the water lines, you've got the, um, the curves, you've got the, uh, electrical pedestals. Um, you've got the other, you know, uh, infrastructure associated with, uh, with electrical, um, you've got clubhouses, you've got, I mean, it, it breaks down to, you know, everything down to like the, the water shutoff valves, what have you. But it's actually, it, it's much more substantial than one might think. In addition to that, it's built on a 15-year depreciation cycle. So much more accelerated than that of a, of a um, typical 27 and a half year, uh, you know, like a multifamily property or what is it, 30, uh, what, what's the uh, commercial? Is it 37 and a half or 39, 39 years? You're able to come in, buy the park, introduce yourself as a new owner. The lot rent's coming your way, but, the, but whatever the condition of the unit was, I mean, like if you were to buy a multifamily project or even a single family home, you're more concerned about the condition of the property. Whereas with the mobile home park, you really don't care what the inside of their, their, their mobile homes look like. You're just here for the yeah. cash flow and to see how the pump is being maintained. 
Yeah. I mean, obviously along with the condition of the property, I mean, yes, the inside, I could care less what the inside looks like. Um, however, the outside is, is of a concern of ours, right? And so we have, you know, certain rules and, and you know, community rules that they have to abide by. Um, we know we ensure that every, you know, all the residents have, you know, nice skirting on their home, that their deck's not like rotting off, that they don't have siding falling off their home or shingles missing from the roof or rusty, you know, rust stains on the side of the home. So, I mean, there's definitely general upkeep that they have to maintain on the outside. Um, however, the inside, yeah, you're right. I mean, they could have, I mean, they could be living on, you know, plywood floors and no furniture for all we know. Um, but that's typically not the case. If they keep up the outside and you know, again, getting back to like the grade of these right. communities, right? You've got low end, mid and high grade. We're not buying stuff on the all opposite side of the tracks. I mean, you're going to get your, 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 you know, your, your bad apples here and there that are going to just be that individual. But for the most part, these are just homeowners that, you know, it's probably the most valuable asset they own. They, they live there because they enjoy the community aspect. They enjoy having neighbors that, that stay for, you know, many years don't, that don't rotate every 12 months, you know, that don't move in, move out, what have you. Just like living in a subdivision, very similar. You're in 13 states. Do you guys do your own management, or do you guys have your own on-site people? How do you how do you keep all that straight? I mean, are there yeah. mobile home park association managers, or? Yeah, you know th th that's one of the I guess the the pros and cons of, of the industry. Um, unlike in the multifamily space, you know that where there's you know local, regional, national management companies. I mean a lot of options out there if you want to go that route with third-party management. It doesn't really exist in our space. Um, you know, there's a, there's a handful, you know, a few handfuls of them across the country. Most of them are just local type, um, you know, property management outfits that don't, you know, have any type of large bandwidth, like they wouldn't go out of their local marketplace. So that doesn't really work for us. And then there's, there's, there's like three or four major, not major, but just national players We've tested uh, the biggest and the best uh, and had a very, very failed experience with them. Um, and so uh, really the only way to run this business is to truly have your own property management company. And so our infrastructure is, um, it's pretty straightforward. You know, each one of our individual communities has its own on-site community manager. And that sometimes can consist of one individual and sometimes could be as many as three, it just depends on how big the community is. Um, in that individual or those individuals might live in the community or they might live outside of the community. Like we've got both types of arrangements one way or another. It doesn't really matter to us, but they handle the day to day. The, the on-site managers handle the day to day, right? They have office hours. Uh, they collect rents. They hand out late notices. They scan checks, you know, to get them deposited into our bank account. Um, they enforce rules, you know, hand out violations, uh, show units that we have available for sale, you know, all the above. Um, and then we have a, you know, on, on the property management side in our executive office, we've got, you know, what would be classified as a, you know, regional manager, right? The person that's literally overseeing each one of these community managers per se. So it's a, it's a pretty straightforward infrastructure, but we've, and then we have admin support and things like that in our office that supports the property management company, but we have our own property management. It's all underneath our umbrella. And uh, we have found that that is the only way after, again, failed attempts to, to go the other route. It is the only way to uh, ensure success in this business. I was going to add to it real quick because I think it's important. You asked me another part of the part of the question was, you know, how do you manage it all, right? And so I gave you the basic infrastructure, but I that doesn't really answer the question fully because you're talking multiple different states, right? I mean, that, like our regional manager and our corporate office in, in Clearwater can't really logistically get to 13 states efficiently. I mean, like not on a regular basis. It just doesn't happen, right? And so, um, 
you know, uh, uh, every part, every one of our properties is in a different phase, you know, most of them are stabilized now. And so like we, you know, we might not have more than one or two projects at a time that are what we call them, like the, you know, the stabilization period where they're, you know, we're bringing units in, we're doing major CapEx projects, what have you. Those type of communities get visits much more uh, often in the beginning stages. The other ones, what we do often, uh, we utilize technology, um, uh, in a major way to uh, uh, keep ourselves from having to fly everywhere, like nonstop. And one of the big things that's been a game changer for us, a couple of years back, we bought every, every community manager um, has a GoPro camera with a case and a suction cup for the car. So we have a very straightforward and simple protocol in place once a month on a set day of the month, they've got to drive through the community, a certain direction. I mean, we've got it all mapped out for them. And then they basically upload it and our regional manager reviews it every month. And so he can, quickly see, are, we in, are they enforcing rules? Are, they, are there 10 cars parked outside that one house? Are there broken down cars like that that shouldn't be there? Are they doing their, their day-to-day job responsibilities? And so that allows us to get a general look and feel. And you know, from the financials, if we're collecting rents and people are paying, the financial health is pretty visible, right? Just from, from sheer collections. And if we can put the visual uh, overlay with it, and it gives us a really good sense of what's happening in that, that particular community. So that's one of the ways that we, you know, kind of tie it all together and keep things in check, even being so far away. That's awesome. You know, I, I know that it doesn't matter what the nationals want to do. It's still always up to the individual entrepreneur to figure out what fits best for them. And, you know, what, what we often see a lot of nationals letting slide you and I wouldn't let happen in our, in something that we own. But, you know, Kevin, when you're, when you're evaluating a mobile home park, I mean, help me understand what the bank is looking at, because the way that I see it is you're, you're financing a piece of land with some improvements on it. And if I'm looking at it from a development standpoint, which has been my background, a piece of land with some improvements on there is going to finance for about 50% of the value. I can't yeah. imagine you're doing those 50% value. Tell <laughs> about the financing that's involved with mobile home property. Yeah, I mean, it, it's viewed, I mean, very similarly than that of a multifamily property. Again, you know, one of the key points of, um, of, of that, that interested me in the beginning was the, you know, the, um, uh, the challenge behind moving these homes, right? They don't move often. So banks know that now. Banks are fully aware that these homes don't leave those spaces very often. In fact, like 95% of the homes that make it in never leave again. And when they leave, they leave because they're getting demoed because they're bringing a brand new home in to replace that older home in that spot, right? Like that's typically what happens. And so the banks realize that after, you know, watching historical trends and watching this, this industry play out over the last 70 years. And so they finance it. I mean, you know, they look at the lot rents as though they're an apartment door, right? I mean, as a revenue generating apartment door um, and they assign a cap rate on that property and uh, take an income uh, based evaluation. So again, very similar to that of, of a uh, multifamily property is the exact same way. In fact, um, you know, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are very heavy in our space. Uh, they have been for, for many, many years and have been continually getting more competitive. In fact, very recently, uh, about a month ago was the first time I'm not gonna say the first time in history, but I believe it was the first time in history. Maybe it's happened like eight, one other time over the last couple of years, but I got a rate sheet for uh, Fannie for Fannie products. And it was a, uh, a mobile home park rate sheet and a, uh, a, a many um, um, multifamily rate sheet. And on average on their, you know, 30 year term, 10 year fixed product, 
um, at a 65% LTV. I mean, they had different LTVs in there, but just generally speaking, 65% LTV, the uh, mobile home park rates were about 200 basis points lower than that of the um, multifamily. And so it just, it shows that they, they believe in the space, they wow. understand it really well, and they trust it, and it's performed really, really well historically, as has, you know, multifamily. So. What is it about mobile home parks that's so attractive for cash flow? Yeah, no, that, that's a great question. And I think that, uh, um, you know, uh, the cat's gotten out of the bag a little bit. You know, if you'd asked me that question five, six years ago, was that, you know, there was a lot less competition in this space and there was um, multifamily that's changing. It has changed very, very quickly. Uh, now it's a very competitive space with no new supply. So it's, uh, um, you know, the demand is at an all-time high. However, there's still that fragmentation that exists. And so there's, I feel like there's a, there's a runway of opportunity and there's still a ton of properties out there that are owned by the you know, original mom and pops. You know, you know, they haven't kept up with market rates. You know, the rents are, you know, 30, 40, 50% below market, but not just that, you know, we have found that a lot of mom and pop owners also don't run their properties all that efficiently. They haven't been putting money back into them over the years. Um, their payrolls, you know, very heavy. They've got some infrastructure problems. You know, maybe their water lines are 40 years old and they haven't, you know, they haven't gone through and done leak detections. Like their water bill is three times what it should be. That happens. It's, it's, it, that happens very, very often. Um, and so there's a lot of things, very easy fixes that we can do um, in order to identify opportunity in any one given property. And so um, for us, we can buy it a, at a fair basis, but, you know, with, with a lot of um, fairly easily achievable upside potential, um, whether it be, you know, a general rent increase, you know, again, lowering the expenses. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, fixing the utilities, the water and the sewer um, bills. Uh, the water lines typically need replaced. A lot of times we'll also bill back for water and sewer usage. We'll put individual submeters on each one of the units and actually bill them for their individual usage so that that savings drops directly to our bottom line. Um, and so, uh, you know, lots of different factors there, but I mean, it's uh, for us, we can typically achieve in a stabilized property, we can achieve you know, mid-teen cash on cash returns at a, you know, normalized leverage point of 65 or 70%, you know, uh, assuming that we're going to be able to put, you know, Fannie Mae debt on it, you know, some type of good long-term debt in place with a good low rate. That's fantastic, really. I mean, mid-teens is, is phenomenal, especially when you're looking at it from a cash on cash standpoint. Um, and then you mentioned something else I was going to ask you because, you know, typically we all envision, like you said, indicated earlier, you know, they wear out, you know, they're, they're, they're not, the longevity isn't there, but you also indicated that there was becoming more and more competition in the space. Do you think that cap rates are going to compress on mobile home parks over the next 20, 30 years? Yeah, they were, they already have. That's a great question. There's, um, there's a couple of different big group, big groups. You know, Collier's has a manufactured housing division. Uh, Northmark has a manufactured housing division. Marks and Milchev has a manufactured housing division. They all put out their own individual um, market reports on this segment. And uh, most of the time they compare it to multifamily because it's, you know, closest in similarity. And our cap rates over the past year have literally been trending within a few hundred basis points of, um, of what multifamily has been trading for. And so again, th that's, that's taken into account like, you know, the, you know, one star through five star type communities. I mean, and so the, the five star type communities in our industry, Very the broad Florida, yeah, the stuff here in Florida, Arizona, five star communities with three swimming pools, palm trees, you know, activities director, that kind of stuff. That stuff trades literally like three and a half and four caps. Uh, and then you've got stuff that is in the 
C-grade realm that might trade for, you know, nowadays a a seven or if it's going to the broad marketplace, right? If it's going, if it's going out in retail, uh, it's going to trade more than likely for a, a, you know, a seven, seven and a half cap rate. And that's like the lower grade stuff. So um, it's very much in line with multifamilies. And so I think the opportunity still is with the, the fragmentation of the ownership basis. So in the multifamily space, is much more challenging to find off-market deals. I mean, you just pretty much have to rely on bro- the brokers. Have a such a vast network that, you know, they've got the connections already. You know, and and you know, it just it, may, it seems to make it easier to go that route than to go direct to owners. And you also have a much more sophisticated ownership base in the multi-family space. Mobile home parks is very different. I mean, you've got a lot of national teams. Um, and they've got a good presence, but they're not as saturated as that uh, in the multifamily space. And so we've, we've had very good success over the last eight years going direct to owner. We have bought through brokers, but you know, 80% or 90% of the things that we own, we bought you know, directly going to owner, building relationships and basically again, not cutting out the broker on purpose, but I mean, just, you know, not my goal is to get it before it goes to the open market and gets bid up in price because it will happen nowadays. You know, you mentioned that you're in, you're in 13 states, which is phenomenal growth. I mean, that, you know, I don't have to be a math genius to say you have at least 13 parks, but how is it that you've been able to, to raise that capital uh, and, and grow your business in such a rapid succession? Yeah, and I, you know, rapid, I guess, can be defined differently, right? I mean, the first couple of years were incredibly slow. Um, and I think that um, I can tie back to really one thing. Um, and it, it comes down to proof of concept, Shannon. I mean, I think that, you know, after when I, when I bought the first park in 2012, um, I had just gone through, you know, probably the, the three or four roughest years of my life. It was a very challenging time financially, was basically starting over from scratch. And so I really didn't have any proof of concept and I didn't have, my track record was, I'm not gonna say tarnished, right? Cause I learned from a lot of the, the things that had happened through 2008, what have you. And I'd done a lot of, a lot of transactions. I feel like I had a really good deep rooted education, um, but I needed to do things a lot differently. And now I need to kind of reprove myself. And so uh, that very first deal was, um, was the canvas, right? Like that was the blank canvas. And it was up to me to, just knock one out of the park, absolutely knock it out of the park and, you know, follow that case study from beginning and document it and share that with the, the world uh, as it was happening then thereafter as well. Like when it came time to do the next deal, um, it was very, it was a lot easier to sell it to investors as, as far as like, here's what we just did. Here was our game plan. Here's how we executed on it. This next deal is very similar. Here's some of the, you know, the differences that exist. Here's exactly how we're going to get from A to Z. Would you like to come along for the ride? I, that, that's really it. There's nothing else spe- special about what we do other than we do what we say we're going to do. And we've got a, a, you know, a proven concept behind us and we've proven it time and time again. And you know, that comes with time and with risk you know, and uh, you know, ultimately reward at the very end of it all. <laughs> It's so funny because there's so many people in the space now, especially in the multifamily space uh, and syndication, that want the want the uh, respect of the other uh, operators uh, without the proof of concept. You know, they haven't done the deal. They haven't they haven't fully executed on it. They've got one under contract and they're already starting their second one. And you know, those are the ones that we're all just kind of looking at and going. Uh, you remind me of somebody I maybe used to know at a different time in my life. But, you know, that's, I think that's an important thing that, you know, a lot of people look at 
people like yourself, Kevin, and they go, man, what a successful thing. You've got, you've got many, you've got over a dozen parks. You've done it in only eight years. You know, you're, you're one of those overnight successes that was created in about 10 years, you know, <laughs> and to look at that and to, you know, people forget all the groundwork, all the things that need to be, you know, that, that were there and, and, you know, the training from your past that came forward and your contacts that came forward and everything that you brought with you to that canvas. Kevin, that's really what brought your success forward. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, because everything that you showed up to that first day of class on Mobile Home 101 was from your past and allowed you to be successful and to push forward. And so congratulations really on your successes. I mean, that's, you really don't give yourself enough credit to have created what you've created in the time frame regardless of how, how slow you started. But where do you, where do you see you know, the future of mobile home parks going? Where do you see the future of your company going over the next couple of years as we see COVID play out? We see the ramifications of the economy that we've been dealt. Um, I, I think everybody can agree that it's part politics, uh, part you know, World Health Organization, and part just smart, smart health but yeah. it definitely had some some crushing effects to our economy. How do you see your company navigating through that in the next 12 to 24 months? Yeah, no, I'll try to unpack that. As far as I'll answer you the first question, which is, um, uh, you know, where do I see the future of manufactured housing? I mean, it's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. There is some new supply coming online now as a lot of, there's been some big, private equity players, uh, Blackstone and Carlisle Group, just to name two of them, but some other very large players that have brought billions of dollars into our, our sector that are, you know, revamping a lot of older worn out communities. And so now the, the that negative stigma, that stereotype attached with mobile home parks, it, it's still there, but it's slowly changing to where, you know, there's been actually some new projects that have been brought online in different parts of the country. And so still not to the point to where, you know, it, it doesn't have a diminishing supply to where like they're, you're, they're getting shut down or redeveloped faster and they're coming online, but it, it shows some promise. Um, and, you know, and uh, uh, um, Berkshire Hathaway, you know, they bought Clayton. I forget what year that happened, but Clayton is the largest mobile home manufacturer in the country. And they've, you know, continually have been doing a roll up buying other manufacturers along the way. And so they're the largest producer of mobile homes, you know, phys physical mobile homes. And so we've got some real talent, like legitimate talent in the industry. And so it's only it's only been uh, going towards the positive as far as the, the, the growth and the future and the acceptance um, uh, compared to what it was, you know, a decade or two ago. And so I think the industry has got some great things ahead of it. Um, as far as our company, you know, where, where do I see our company? We're going to continue buying. I'm a, I'm a firm believer that no matter what the economy is doing, there's still opportunity out there. I mean, we're, I'm incredibly conservative, you know, more so even than uh, what I was prior to the last crash. And so that's probably part of it. So I'm, we're just very cautious. We're slow, methodical buyers. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, you know, what, what we buy nowadays and how we buy it, we buy it with the intent of holding for the long term. They're not building these anymore. So if we're going to buy in a great market and a great location, we want to hold on to it. And, you know, we really like to classify it as like a legacy asset. You know, hold on to it for the long term and, uh, you know, pay ourselves and our investors great dividends for a long time moving forward. And so we can, we're going to continue to do that. Um, as I'd mentioned before we started recording, one of the other asset classes we've recently dived into uh, – or dove into, dived into, what's the right way to say that, is, um, is parking lots, uh, you know, so surface parking lots and parking garages and very targeted central business districts and also some um, select tourist locations like beach towns, things like that. And it's more of a, just a cash flow, 
cash flowing covered land play, um, but lower returns than that of mobile home parks, but much more of a coupon clipper, right? Like we're looking, it's a very different investor base um, than that of someone that's very interested in a value add type project, right? And so um, both those very, very much tie together in, in that they're both land plays to a certain degree and we're just renting spaces. And so that's uh, one of the places our company's going here moving forward. And as far as navigating, I think the last question you asked is navigating, you know, um, this pandemic, you know, the next 12 to 18 or 24 months, what have you, you know, at the end of the day, you know, this country is, it's got a, it be prior to the pandemic, it had a shortage of affordable housing. Um, that shortage is going to be there. It's there today. It'll be there 12 to 18 months from now. And, you know, the unique thing about mobile home parks is where we fall on the spectrum of housing, any given city. So let's use Boise where you're, we know where you do a lot of projects, I can promise you that there's no, I don't know how many mobile home parks are in Boise, but uh, it doesn't matter if there's one or five or 10 and it doesn't matter. I can promise you that those mobile home parks, as far as what the lot rent on a monthly basis is, is the cheapest option for a family to reside in. And I'm even comparing it to a low end apartment building. It, I can promise you that is the lowest option for any family to live. And it doesn't mean it's the worst location but it's the lowest cost option. After that, you know, the average lot rent across the country is about $350 a month. And in Boise, it's probably, I bet you it's probably pushing like 450 or 500 a month, somewhere in that range, maybe even 550. But even then, there, I, you're really close. You tell, you tell yeah. me five, 550, you can't live anywhere with a family of four in Boise for $550 a month in a two or three bedroom unit. That's in a decent neighborhood that you're not going to get shot walking out your front door, right? Um, so that, oh. that makes me feel comfortable knowing that there's no other alternative. No. So if we lose a tenant in one of our communities for whatever reason, I can promise you there's 10 more, assuming that our park's in a great location, good school district, there's 10 more waiting, you know, to come in and uh, reside with their family. So. Well, Kevin, I really thank you for uh, taking the, the, the time to expose what you do, explore what you do with, with my listeners. It's really insightful because you know, mobile homes are a different asset class and maybe maybe the misunderstood asset class if there is one out there. Uh, and, and it's really awesome to see that there are people like yourselves that are taking the approach of consolidating the product, of, of bringing some standards to it. And I really commend you for the job you've done to assemble the company that you have from, from the rebound position that you found yourself, like a lot of us found ourselves in in 2008. And once again, Kevin Bupp, I really want to thank you for your time being on the Real Estate Rundown with Shannon Robnett. So, guys, I tune in next time when we have another guest and we discover another aspect of real estate that will be real and exciting and coming at it from an angle you didn't think of. 